Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 1. If you found your place, and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to hang out in verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 18. Now, we're not going to read this entire section. You'll quickly see why. But we'll read verse 1, verse 2. And then we're going to skim and skip down to verse 16, 17, 18. And we'll read that. But we will study this entire section. I'll just spare it to you by way of reading it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So Matthew is saying, this, this is his lineage. This is his legacy. These are his people. That's what he's saying. This is the generation of Jesus. These are the people of Jesus. That's what he's saying. The book of the generation of Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now, in verse 2, all the way down to verse 16, he's going to list what this generation, the secession of generation, what it looks like. He's going to trace it all the way back. Notice verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brethren... And from there on he goes. He's going to just, he basically, look here, he, he basically just kind of runs a, a lineage line all the way through your Old Testament. So if you want to know where all these people are from, walk backwards in your Bible. And all their stories are made up in the Old Testament. And, and what Matthew does is he just, he just runs the line of Jesus through them. And explains, here's who was the father of who. Here who was the father of who. And here who was the father of who. And now we got all the way to Jesus. Look at verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so all the generations, from Abraham to David, are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Look here. He's saying, this is how it happened. Here's how we got here. That's what he's saying. Look here. Here's how we got to this point. That's what he's saying. When, his, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That verse, verse 18, is a very important doctrine which the church has held for centuries which underlines the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's underlining the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 1 is saying this. 
How did we get here? Here's how we got here. Abraham, Isaac, Judah, Jacob, okay, all the way down the list. Here's how we got here. But who is he? That's what it's answering. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Because entering who he is, determining his identity, goes a long way into helping us understand whether he in fact is the Christ, whether he in fact is Messiah, whether he in fact demands and deserves our worship. We must know who he is. If you do not know who he is, well then you cannot properly and you cannot adequately worship him the way that you should. So Matthew is helping us understand this is who he is. And in understanding who he is, our response to worshiping him, to accepting him, to seeing him as our Lord, as our Savior, all of these things now are, are the proper response to understanding who he is. So we're going to look at that. Who exactly is Jesus? What's his family? Who are his people? Where does he come from? We're going to unpack that with the Lord's help this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. Teach us something from your word. Use your spirit in our hearts. Father, encourage us, build us up in your word. We ask all these things according to the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. And by his name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. At Christmas time, you always spend time with your family at a particular Christmas party. Sometimes people have a difficulty with this, especially if they have children. They wonder, man, are there, are there some people who we shouldn't, are there some people in our family who we shouldn't spend time with because, well, to put it mildly, they're a bad role model for our children. And so we don't want our children to be around them. We don't want our children to be influenced by them. They think of these things in this way. But have you ever thought about it? What if, what if Jesus, what if Mary and Joseph decided that they were going to have a, a family picnic? They were going to go to the, to the family reunion. They were going to be a part of the family get-together. They decided that when they got there, all their relatives showed up. All their ancestors. What kind of what kind of family would this look like? What kind of people would this be? The people of Jesus. How, how many of you have, a, you have a crazy uncle in your family? Let's see. Maybe it's a crazy aunt. I'm not for sure. Which one? How many of you are the crazy uncle or aunt? I just don't, don't. We don't need that this morning. If you're sitting by, just do this number right here, okay? Dysfun dysfunctional families are everywhere. If, if you think that you know a family that isn't dysfunctional, well, you probably don't know the family very well. This is because of the world that we live in. We live in a broken world. What broke the world? Well, it wasn't politics that broke the world. It wasn't the economy that broke the world. What broke the world was a thing called sin. Sin broke the world all the way back in Genesis. Sin broke the world. And now everything in our world, relationships are a struggle, family life is a struggle, even getting old is a struggle. All of these things, all of these problems exist as a result of sin, even in our own families. So Matthew is starting this gospel and he's saying, Here who, this is who the family of Jesus is. Here's who they are. These are his people. It's a strange way to begin the story. 
It's a strange way for us to begin the story because that's not how we introduce ourselves. You don't introduce yourself to someone by saying, Hi, my name is, my name is David, uh, the, the son of Daniel, uh, the son of John, uh, the, the son of Edward, who came here from Ireland three generations ago. He was born of his father. No, that's not how we do that, right? If I, if I introduce myself to you, I go, hi, my name is Dave. I hope you never meet my father, my grandfather, or my great-grandfather. The, the less you know about them, the better, right? But that's not how the world operated in Jesus' day. Your, your lineage, your family, was your resume. Your family, your lineage, it was who you were. You were defined by that in so many ways. And that's what's happening with Mark. Mark is defining who Jesus is to Jewish people. He's writing to people who are Jewish and he is saying to them, look, this is our king. That, that's why, in fact, look at the very beginning. That's why in verse 1 he says, these are the generations of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Immediately, your Bible alarm should start going off because Abraham is before David. And yet Matthew says David before Abraham. He doesn't say the son of Abraham, the son of David. He says, no, this is Jesus. These are generations of Jesus, the son of David. Why? Because David is the rightful king. He's heir to Israel. And Matthew is saying, here is our rightful king. Here's the heir. Here's the promise fulfilled. He's, his throne is the one that is forever settled. It's him. It's, it's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gets into the list in verse 2. And then he, he rightly appropriates Abraham at the very beginning. Look at verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brethren. So he's telling us several things about who Jesus is. I got three things for you this morning. Write them down. You got notes. You can follow along. First one. This Matthew 1, this lineage of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus. It teaches us first, it teaches us where Jesus came from. It teaches us, it reveals to us where Jesus came from. Oftentimes, if, if you ask somebody, hey, where does the story of Jesus begin? You know what they'll tell you? Or the story of Jesus begins at Christmas. Or, or maybe they'll say, well, the story of Jesus begins at his baptism. Or maybe they'll say, well, the story of Jesus begins at the transfiguration. Think, think back a few months ago. We're going through the book of Mark together. We've talked about all these events. The story of Jesus begins there. No, no, no. What Matthew is showing us is that the story of Jesus does not begin at his, at his, at his baptism or at the transfiguration. It doesn't even begin at Bethlehem. You've got to go way back in order to understand Jesus. If you really want to understand who Jesus is, if you really want to understand where he came from, you've got to go all the way back to this guy named Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judah. Matthew is telling us, if you want to understand Jesus, you need to understand Abraham. You remember Abraham is the man that God took out into the desert. And he says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Look at the sky, Abraham. Count the stars if you can. Can you count them? And Abraham says, no. He says, pick up the grains of sand. Count the sand. Can you, can you count it? He says, no. God says, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do from you. 
I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Just write a note here out beside this. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. This is where this promise comes in. And in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm, and I'm, going, I'm going to bless you in a way that is complete. It's, it's, it's countless. You will not be able to see the ways in which I will bless you, but I will bless you in all and from you, Abraham. All of the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed. You say, well, why is God blessing Abraham like this? And here's why. God is blessing Abraham like this because Abraham took a step of faith. It was Abraham's faith in obeying God. Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham came out of an idol-worshipping family. Abraham came out of a pagan culture. And he said, I want to know who God is. And I want to believe God. And I will obey God. And by faith, I will go after God. So Abraham takes a step of faith. And in taking a step of faith, he follows after God. And as a result of this, God says, from you, Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And so the coming of Jesus is really a fulfillment of that promise. When God tells Abraham, from you, I am going to bless all of the world... What he is thinking of is he is thinking of Jesus. He's saying, Abraham, because of your faith through you, I am going to send Jesus. And Jesus is good news for all the world. He's thinking of this one particular seed, this one particular descendant. And he is telling Abraham, Abraham, through you, I am going... To send someone who will save people from their sins. This genealogy in Matthew 1 reveals where Jesus came from. But, but write this down. What's it, what is it saying to us about where he came from? He, he's saying it, he came to us. Jesus came to us because God made a promise. And make note of this. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. There aren't many people in the world who are good for their word. Have you learned that? But God's good for his word. God is good for his word. God promised he would send a savior. God promised he would send one. And this genealogy in Matthew 1 is the revelation that God has in fact kept his promise. That God has in fact kept his word. And you must remember this, there are so many times along the stories that are listed here, there are so many times at so many points where it seems as if the promise is going to fail. It seems as if it isn't going to happen. Remember Abraham and Sarah, let's think about, about them specifically. Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a seed, I'm going to bless you with an innumerable, an innumerable amount of descendants. And yet Abraham and Sarah are barren, they can't have a child, remember? And so Abraham and Sarah decide that God needs some help. Let me just tell you this, God never needs help from you and me. God isn't up in heaven going, oh my goodness, how am I going to get done what I want to get done in the world? No, that's not how it works. No, no, God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God has set things in course and motion, and God invites you and me into his purpose and his plan. 
And so Abraham and Sarah think God needs help. And so they decide that they're going to have a child through Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah. Remember that whole debacle? It seems as if the plan is going to work. How about the 12 sons of Jacob? Remember this? The 12 sons of Jacob. They look like they're going to starve in a famine. They look like they're going to die. They're not going to make it. And yet God has a different plan. What is the plan? God delivers them. Why? Because Joseph, the brother that they hated, the brother that they tried to kill, the brother they sold off into slavery, he's second in command in Egypt. And God is using Joseph miraculously then. And so God delivers his people. Right on the brink of starvation, God delivers his people. You remember later when there's slaves in Egypt and it looks like they won't get out and Pharaoh won't let them go. And Moses keeps saying, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh, because of the hardness of his heart, says no. And God allowed the circumstances to actually reveal the fact that Pharaoh's heart was hard. And Pharaoh rebels against God in this way. And as a result, judgments and signs begin to fall onto the the people there in Egypt, including the Israelites. And they're falling on them. And Pharaoh is saying, no, no, no. I don't want it your way. I want it my way. And it looks as if they won't make it out. And then they do. You can read through the story. Each step of the way, watch. God is good for his word. God keeps his promises. And God delivers his people. That's what you're seeing in this text. God is good for his word. And God delivers his people. But notice this. It brings us all the way to this point. Look at the end. He says, and Jacob begat Joseph and the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so are all the generations. This is the family of Jesus. And then you realize this as you think on it. You realize that this isn't just Jesus' genealogy. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that you and I are in the family of Jesus. That if you've believed in him, then he has brought you by way of adoption, by way of being a joint heir with Jesus Christ, he has brought you into the family of God. He's saying if you trust and believe in Jesus, then you are a son and a daughter of Abraham by faith. If you are a believer, you are by faith considered in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Wow. What that means is when God told Abraham, look up into the stars, count the grains of sand, they're innumerable. If you're a believer in Jesus, what that means is when, when Abraham looked up in the stars and he thought on all of the descendants that would come from him by way of faith, he thought of you. He thought of me. He thought of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So here's what that means. That if you are in Christ, if you have believed in Christ, here's your family. These are your people. And if, if the person next to you has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, well then guess what? They're also in your family. These are your people. And if the person behind you, in front of you, if they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, well then guess what? They're your family. 
They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, well, I don't have any people in this life. Oh, yeah, you do. Look around the room. These, if you're a believer in Jesus, these are your people. This is your family. This is your family. You say, well, this family looks like a mess. <laughs> oh, it is. Trust me. It's one big mess. But it's your mess. Because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. And looking around the room and realizing, hey, well, this is my family. And this, there's some brokenness here. There's, some, there's a mess here. Well, that's exactly the kind of people that Jesus came to save. Which gives us a second thought about Jesus' family tree. It's, it reveals why Jesus came at all. It reveals not only where he's from, but it also reveals why he came in the first place. And the reason Jesus came is because of sin. The reason Jesus came is because of disobedience. The reason Jesus came is because of dysfunction. In fact, all of those things are the reason why Jesus had to come. It's the reason why Jesus had to come. You understand, in the ancient world, I told you this, genealogies, they, they, they operated in a way that were... It was much like your resume. It was like you're filling out this long resume hoping to, to show the boss or the person who is hiring you why you are the one that should be hired. And instead of uh, appealing to your educational or you know, your educational accomplishments or your physical abilities or your intellectual resource, instead of doing that, you would, you would appeal to your pedigree. You, you would say, here's who my people are. This is, what my, this is what my family looks like. This is, this is where my awesomeness is. This is where my greatness comes from. This is why you should choose me to be your leader. This is why you should follow me. Because look at, look at all the leaders in my family. Look at all the pedigree in my family. In many instances, actually, you can, you can look this up for yourself, but in many instances, people in the ancient world would purge their genealogies of things that were particularly embarrassing. So if they had someone in their family that they, that they wished wasn't in their family, you know, the crazy uncle. And we go, let's, let's, let's get him out of the record. We don't want him to be a part of our family. Let's ostracize him. Let's remove him from the, from the, from the record of history because I don't want that staining my resume. I don't want people knowing that he's associated with me. And we can easily go, well, who would do such a thing? And the honest truth is you and I would do such a thing. In fact, we do such a thing, don't we? You remember when you were uh, dating your husband or your wife? If you can think back that long. Remember the, the first time that they were going to meet your family? Do you remember how nervous you were? Do you remember telling them things like, well, look, my family is a little bit different. And we have an uncle who likes to show up at these events and don't worry about him. And there's a cousin and you don't know, you never know what she's going to say. So remember, remember prepping them before they walked into the house? 
And you remember thinking, if they meet all of my family, there's no way they'll love me because they'll think that that's me. And I don't even like them in my family. Remember? It's no, it's no different. It's no different for the people of, in, in, in ancient history. They wanted to remove these kinds of people. Why? Because they wanted, watch, because they wanted to look as good as they possibly could. They wanted to look as good as, as they possibly could. We come to the genealogy of Jesus and we realize something, don't we? We realize what in the world is going on with this genealogy? In fact, this is not a normal genealogy at all. There are some good people in the genealogy, that's true. But there's some real scoundrels in this genealogy. There's some good guys and some good girls, sure. But there's some bad guys and some bad girls in here too. And in fact, just consider it. Consider, consider the, the bizarre people in Jesus' family tree. How about somebody like Jacob? You remember the story of Jacob? How many of you remember the story of Jacob? And Jacob who tricks his brother. Jacob who lies to his father. Jacob who steals the birthright and the blessing. Jacob then who runs to his uncle Laban. Jacob who works seven years for his uncle Laban because he's in love with his cousin. That's weird. It's the Old Testament, so it was normal then, but it was, it's weird today. And he's listed in the family tree. And, and Jacob. And then after Jacob, look at verse 2. And Judah. And his brethren. You remember, remember the guys who get mad at Joseph because Joseph is the favorite son? By the way, parents, this is why you shouldn't play favorites in your family. It creates, creates division. Creates hostility. You should love all your children the same. And, and Joseph... But, but look, they don't do this with Joseph. Joseph is the favorite son. He gets everything he wants. He gets everything he asks for. And so the brothers have this hostility toward him. And they end up coming up with this plan to kill him. And then they, don't, they decide they don't want to kill him. And so they sell him into slavery, which is actually worse. And he, goes, he bounces from slave house to slave house, right? And listen here, it's a guy named Judah. Judah who's one of the 12 sons, he's one of the brothers who came up with the plan to kill Joseph. He ends up unknowingly having a relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. His daughter-in-law, Tamar, comes onto the scene saying, hey, well, she's going to have babies. It, it, Judah goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. I should kill her for that. And then she goes, oh, yeah, by the way, I have the, I have the staff and the signet. I have the ring of the man whose children these belong to. Remember the story? And he's like, send them to me, because I'm going to kill that guy too. And she sends them to him, and they're his. Do you remember the story? He's there. Or how about Rahab? Rahab, the woman of ill repute. The woman who is known in the Bible as Rahab the harlot. She doesn't appear many times in the New Testament. She appears, I think, five times in the New Testament. Here she appears in the New Testament, and she's not given that title. She's not identified in that way. But every other time, she's identified in that way. She is this woman 
who does that. That's how she is identified. And here she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Or how about Ruth? Ruth, who isn't immoral in any way, but Ruth, who is a Gentile. Ruth, someone who's not Jewish. She's a Gentile. Which, actually, if you think about it, this is a, this is a Jewish this is a Jewish genealogy. This is making an appeal to why you should believe in Jesus as the rightful heir to the throne of David. And she's listed here. She's, she goes through all kinds of hardship. She loses her husband. She's faithful to her mother-in-law. And as a result, she meets a really good guy whose name is Boaz. By the way, we need more good guys. You ladies want me to preach a sermon on that one right now? Okay. Just put it in the recommendation box. I'll talk about it later. You meet a woman in this, in this genealogy by the name of Bathsheba. Look, look, at, look at how she's talked about in the Bible. Look how she's introduced. Look at verse 6. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon. So Solomon's from David. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live according to the Bible. Solomon of her... That had been the wife of Uriah. You see how she's even listed in the Bible? This is, not, this is not a slam against Bathsheba. This is a slam against David. You remember the story? David sent his men out to war. David should have gone. It was a time that the kings went to battle. But David didn't. He stayed home. And instead of doing what he should have been doing. He's where he shouldn't be. He sees something he shouldn't see, and he takes to himself what isn't his. Remember the story? And he brings Bathsheba into his house, and they conceive, and they have a son. David knows he's in trouble, so he sends for Uriah, one of his right-hand men, and he brings Uriah back home, and he tries to convince Uriah to go in and sleep with his wife, but Uriah, but Uriah won't do it. He sleeps outside on the street. He's on the sidewalk. He says, why am I here in the city when my brothers are out there in the field? Uriah has so much more integrity than David. And David realizes it's not going to happen. The plan, the plan won't work. So David takes a note and he writes a note and he says to Joab, he says, send Uriah to the front of the hottest battle. And then when he gets there, pull everybody back. Leave him on his own. And he writes and he seals it and he hands it to Uriah himself. And Uriah takes his own death sentence and he never opens it. He never looks at it. How tempted would you have been? I want to know what the king has to say. <laughs> and he never does. And he hands it to Joab. And Joab opens it and Joab says, okay, let's go. Uriah, lead the troops. And they all go out to the front of the hottest battle. And then they all pull back except Uriah. You remember the story? And he dies in battle. Then David he is a, sh tries to show himself as gracious and kind and hospitable. Then he brings Bathsheba into his family. You remember? And the prophet shows up and the prophet says, hey, hey David, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about a story about a man who had all kinds of sheep. He had all kinds of lamb. He could have had any lamb that he wanted. And then there's, a, there's this neighbor who only has one little lamb, one small lamb. He took, the bed, he took the lamb to bed every night. He cared for that lamb like it was his own child. And this man who has all the lambs, he comes to this man's house one night and he takes the lamb. He kills the man and he brings the lamb into his own home. What should happen to that man, David? And David says, that guy should have his head cut off. Remember how harsh he is? Remember how mean he is? Remember, remember how it's just like it's overreaction, right? It's often the way it is with guilt and remorse and shame. It's often the way when you're trying to bury sin. You're always harder on somebody else's sin than you are on your own. 
Kill that guy. For what? And Nathan takes his finger and he points it right in the chest of David. And he says, thou, you, you're the man. You're the man, David. You remember the story? Here she is. She's listed in the genealogy, not as Bathsheba, the wife of David. She's listed in the genealogy as Bathsheba, the one who had been the wife of Uriah. How about Manasseh? He's listed in this story. Manasseh is one of the worst kings in the Old Testament. Manasseh made Israel to set up worship to Baal. Manasseh built, built idols all throughout the land of, of Israel. He built idols in the temple. He went into the temple, took down the idols, the, 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 the altars of God, and he built up altars and idols to these false gods. Manasseh burnt his own son alive as a sacrifice to Moloch. Are you feeling a little bit better about your family right now? You should be. And you read through this list. You could keep going. You could do this all day. You could read through this list. And you say, well, why, 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 is Jesus, why is Jesus putting people like this in his family tree? And it reminds you, this is, this is the people who Jesus came for. People in need of grace, people in need of forgiveness, people in need of love. Listen, friend, there is no one. Look at the list. There is no one beyond the reach of the love of God Almighty. The list is full of murderers, adulterers, thieves, and prostitutes, broken families, dysfunction, all the way from the top to the bottom. And there is no one on the list who's outside of the reach of God's love. Never think someone's too far gone for God. But not only does it show us that they need grace, it's a reminder that you and I need grace too. It's a reminder that you and I need grace. You say, well, pastor, I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus says something different in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, if you've been angry with your brother without a cause, like you got ticked off in traffic, <laughs> and you're guilty of murder, you ever been angry at somebody, been mad at somebody, I'm never going to talk to them again. You've done that in your heart. The Bible says you're guilty of murder. That's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. The longest recorded sermon that Jesus that we have from Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. You're guilty of murder. You ever told a lie? All men are liars. That's what the Bible says. And all the women say, amen. It's not, men, not male, mankind. Okay, all of us. Of course you told a lie. You ever had an impure, impure thought? You ever had an impure thought towards someone of the opposite sex? The Bible says you're guilty of adultery. The moment you lusted after them, you're guilty of adultery. You've committed adultery with them, he says, already in your heart. Before it ever, before it ever happened in your body, you did it in your heart, you did it in your mind. You're guilty of it. You see, you and I are no different, and that's why Jesus Christ had to come, and that's why he had to die. He had to save us, us, from our sin. And there's no one out, outside the reach of God's love. There's no one outside the reach of God's mercy. There's no one outside the reach of God's forgiveness. 
But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see? This list this is what the genealogy is showing us. Reveals for us exactly where Jesus came from. It reveals to us why Jesus had to come at all. And third, it reveals to us who Jesus is. Who is he then? Matthew answers it straightway. The genealogy isn't just what his family looks like. The genealogy doesn't just tell us what he is here to do. The genealogy is driving to one thing. It's pointing out Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? It's two things. Jesus is first that rightful king. He is the son of David. That's what he says. Jesus is the rightful king. You remember, this is at a time where Herod has set himself up as the king. Herod is pretending to be king. Herod became king by way of appointment. So Rome marched in, took occupation of the land, and then Rome says, we need somebody who will be the king here who will do everything we want them to do. And Herod steps up and goes, I'll be that guy. They go, oh, great, here's this political puppet. And so they take Herod, who do who will do anything that they want him to do, and they appoint him king. And now here is one who comes onto the scene who is not need to be appointed as king. No, he is rightful king. Remember last week? He's the one who is born king of the Jews. And Jesus is this rightful king. Jesus is from the line of David. And Jesus is the one. He's that true and promised king of Israel. Who God said, I'll make from you, David, a king whose throne will never come to an end. And what Matthew is showing you is he is showing you, he's showing me that he is, Jesus is that rightful king. Look at verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, he is the rightful king. And since he is the rightful king of Israel, he is now the king of the whole world. It's all his. It belongs to him. He owns it. He governs it. It's his by right. It's his because he made it, and it's his because he died for it. He is the rightful king. But he's not just telling us that he's a rightful king. Second, and perhaps more importantly, he's showing us that he is a heavenly king. Look down at verse 16. So there's something happening in the text. and You don't, you don't catch it right away because we didn't read the whole thing. But for this afternoon, read, read through this entire section. And when you read through the entire section, you'll notice. Look at verse 2. And Abraham begat. And Isaac begat. And Jacob begat. And Judah begat. And Perez begat. And Esram, verse 3, begat. And, and, and Aram begat. And Aminadab begat. You see it? How many of you see that? Okay, so it's, it's reading in a particular rhythm. The word begat is an interesting word. It's actually just one word in the Greek. So translated begat is actually the right translation because it's just one word. But what the word means is it means the father of. So Abraham, the father of. And Isaac, the father of. And Jacob, the father of. And Judah, the father of. And Pharaoh, the father of. 
and Aram the father of, and Aminadab the father of, and David the father of, and Boaz the father of. You see it? So there's something happening in the text by way of rhythm. And so if we are reading this whole thing, you're catching this, and so-and-so the father of, and so-and-so the father of, and so-and-so the father of. And so, you, you understand me? How many of you are with me? Let me see. Until you come to verse 16. And in verse 16, you have the rhythm picking up the same way. And Jacob begat. Jacob, the father of Joseph. But watch what happens with Joseph. Because in the rhythm, it should say, Jacob, the father of Joseph. And Joseph, the father of Jesus. And that's how we got here. But that's not what it says, is it? Look at the verse. Look at the verse. It doesn't say Joseph is the father of. What does it say? The husband of. Because Joseph isn't the father of Jesus. Do you understand? God is his father. Joseph is a stepdad. Do you understand? It's Jacob begat Joseph. Who is Joseph? Joseph just happens to be the husband of Mary. And it's of Mary whom Jesus is born, who's called the Christ. Look at verse 18. And the birth of Jesus is on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, they're engaged before they came together. She's found with child. And, and he's going out of his way. Just so you know, this is not... Some child born out of some illicit relationship. This is found with child of the Holy Ghost. You see what he's saying? He's saying this isn't your normal king. This isn't your normal child. This isn't your normal person. This is the divine son of God. Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. Look here. Jesus is God. This is important. And I, I know it feels perhaps to you at this moment tr very trivial, but this is, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is crucial to understanding who he is. And there are many in the church today who go, well, do we really have to make a big deal about this? Yes. Yes, we do. Because if he is not from God, then he's no good for us at making us right with God. You understand? Several years ago, a very well-known pastor said, well, we can take the virgin birth and it's one brick on a big long wall of all kinds of doctrines. And what we're asking people to believe, all these bricks, all these things we're asking people to, to believe, and if you just took the one brick of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ out of the wall, what difference would it really make? No, the whole wall would come crumbling down. That's the difference it would make. It's Jacob begat Joseph. Joseph is just the husband of Mary. And she was with child before they came together, according to the record of Scripture. And Jesus is the divine Son of God. So, you, so the God of the universe is who Jesus is. Watch. And the God of the universe, 
who can come to any people that he wants to come to. He can save any people he wants to save. He can choose to identify with any family that he wants to identify with. He's God. He doesn't come to people who are impressive. He doesn't come to people who are worthy. He doesn't come to people who are awesome. He comes to people who are broken and sinful and in need of a savior. And he dies for those who willingly recognize that they need him. And this is how you come into his family. By faith in him. Not holding your own righteousness, not holding your own good works, not holding your, your own morality or religiosity or civility, but holding only Christ. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? This is the story of Jesus. This is why he came. You, me, in order to bring us by faith into the family of God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus?